Welcome to my Living the Writing Life podcast. My guest on this episode is Annette Liebskin Berkowitz, a scientist, educator, conservationist, author, and poet. Annette is the author of three memoirs, In the Unlikeliest of Places, that focuses on her father's survival through harrowing events in the first half of the 20th century, Confessions of an Accidental Zoo Curator, based on her amazing wildlife career as Senior Vice President at the Wildlife Conservation Society, and Erythra Thalassa, Brain Disrupted, her first poetry chapbook, inspired by her son's sudden hemorrhagic stroke in 2014, that was published this past November by 10th Planet Press. In our conversation, we'll talk about the link between her writing of her last book and her family tragedy, how poetry helped her get through her son's stroke and the aftermath. Welcome to the podcast, Annette. So glad to have you on. Thank you very much for having me, Nancy. Well, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this because I know, you know, from talking with other writers so often... Um, we write during tragic events, sometimes strictly for ourselves. Sometimes what we write ends up being something that we put out into the world, hopefully to help other people. Now, in your, your poetry collection, um, Erythrothalassa, Brain Disrupted, I hope I'm saying that correctly, explores your reaction to the stroke of your son that left him in the prime of his life, a quadriplegic. You started writing these poems after his stroke, and in the book's introduction you wrote, In the darkest days, when my son's life teetered in the balance for weeks, then months, I was a roiling cauldron of emotions. Writing helped. Somehow, pouring out my heart made the burden more manageable. How did the writing of these poems help you during that time? Well, you know, um, when such a tragedy strikes, so unexpectedly, my son was healthy, you know, a strapping six foot three guy, a father of two young girls working. You know, he had been a lifeguard, he had been around the world. No one would ever expect such a thing to happen, right? Uh-huh. And so any, any tragedy is, is a tragedy, but when it happens so unexpectedly to a young person, it's, it's, beyond distressing. And, and I should say that it happened, it, there's never a good time for such a thing, obviously. But it happened a couple of weeks after my husband had knee replacement surgery, uh, which went bad. Uh, his knee was infected. So he was unable to move. He was in bed. I had to put on those compression stockings on him and give him medicine and you know pain pills. And in the middle of all this, we get a phone call, uh, you know, come to the emergency room uh, because Jeremy's unconscious. Uh, At that point, there was such a buildup of so many emotions, uh, frustration, um, surprise, anger, uh, a whole cauldron of things, right? And if you don't, give it a a sort of an escape valve, you know, like a pressure cooker, uh, I I think you would crack up. So, um, about it being a pressure cooker and and how it was served as a relief valve. 
It, it, it was. So uh, I didn't start writing it after the stroke. <laughs> so it let you get some of the pressure, like it out of your head and out of your heart. Yes. So uh, I was, I was, um, first of all, I was not writing with the intention of publishing anything. I was just writing it with intention to get my feelings to, to, to relieve the internal stress. And the stress only grew worse because a few weeks after my son had the stroke, my husband had a stroke. So, you know, if you're going from bad to worse, you, you have to do something to, to maintain your ability to function. Mm -hmm. And I, I found that writing gave me that moment of pouring the feelings out because I certainly wasn't going to tell my husband about my feelings because he had enough of his own to deal with and he was so extremely upset about our son and he couldn't do anything he couldn't go to the hospital and i spent you know days and nights uh in in front of the icu while our son was in a coma my husband couldn't be there and that upset him enormously so i wasn't going to pour out my frustration onto him so uh, I, I had to I had to put it somewhere and I put it on paper, so to speak. Uh, yeah, I, I can I can relate to that. Um, in, in 1999, my mother was diagnosed with cancer, which was a huge shock to all of us. You know, there was no cancer in the family as far as we knew. And my parents, in retrospect, I, I think my parents handled it better than I did. They were living in Florida at the time and I'm in Ohio. Um, so, you know, I wanted to be very supportive to my mother, but I was, in my case, I think one of the overwhelming emotions I had was, was anger, not at my parents. I was angry that this happened to them. You know, they, my father had retired. They were living a good life in Florida. I mean, it was like, like a little kid, you want to say, this isn't fair, you know? So I would journal every morning before I would call my mom so that I could, I could vent. It gave me a place to vent so that then when I got on the phone with her, I could be supportive and encouraging and have a better attitude. But, you know, I, I completely understand that need to get it out because, because you have to. Otherwise, I think otherwise we would crack and then we would be of no use to anybody. Right, and I, I had to be of use to everybody. I had to be of use to my husband. I had to be of use to my granddaughters. They were two traumatized old girls. Um, even of use to my daughter-in-law, who was, who was so distressed that I, I was completely beyond helping her in any way at that point. It took a long time for her to deal with it. She, she knew at that point um, that she, she, they both worked, so but she knew she had to keep her job because somebody in the family had to bring, uh, bring the income to, to support the family and the children. And, you know, while he lay in the ICU, she sat with the computer on her lap doing work, which the company allowed her for a time to do remotely. But it was overwhelming pressure on everyone. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, how long, now you said that when you first started, it was never your intention to turn this into a book. It was, it was more for you. How, over what period of time were you writing the poems and when, 
at what stage did you think that this might be of some value to other people who could be going through something equally traumatic in their life? Okay, so it's been six years since the stroke. Uh, the book was published on November 12th, which was exact sixth anniversary of the stroke. And about five years in, I, I took a look at the poems and I began to notice that there really was an arc. It hadn't been intended that way, but you know, it starts out with a poem of the day he was born, and then it goes on through almost the present. And I thought, gee, these poems really tell a story. I, I hadn't intended that, but that's what it is. So I, I sent them to my uh, poetry editor and he said, this is great, you've got to get it out to the world. This could help people who are facing this kind of situation. And so he encouraged me to publish it. He was a poetry teacher uh, that, with whom I had taken a, a number of poetry classes. When I started writing, I had always wanted to write, but I couldn't write when I had a very high pressure job, which I loved. But my husband persuaded me to retire so I could write. Uh, and I, the first thing I did is I started taking a whole bunch of writing courses. Uh, and among them were poetry classes, and I found that they allowed me to think more imaginatively when I wrote. That they opened up like a whole um, aspect of my brain that I wasn't aware of. And this poet, Matthew Lipman, who, who was a fabulous poetry teacher, um, I, I wrote poetry, uh, you know, uh, for, for classes that I attended with him. And sometimes I would read them to my husband. He would say, oh, my God, he's such a dark poet. And I, I remember that that stayed in my mind because when I sent the poetry to him, I thought, well, this kind of situation really needs a dark poet to look at uh, because he, he would know how to appreciate it. And he did. So he encouraged me uh, to put it out. And, and if you have seen the poems from beginning to end of the, you, you see they tell a story. Was there a lot of editing involved in, in, the, in the poems or did they pretty much see publication as in, in the same fashion in which you, you wrote them? Uh, almost absolutely in the same fashion as I wrote them, except maybe a couple of words. Uh, what he did help me with is um, the sequencing of the poems. Uh -huh. uh, and, and he encouraged me to include some of those poems that uh, I called meditation. And, and he kind of suggested um, where they might go. So that was very helpful. Uh -huh. I know when I've interviewed um, other people who have written memoirs and, and, and works based on events, traumatic events that happen in their lives, they, they were saying um, in, in many cases that it was challenging when it came time for the publication, when it, uh, you know, when it came time to putting it together and then publishing it, because you have to have some, you have to maintain a, some sort of an objectivity, you know, even though this is very personal, but then at the same time, you have to be objective about it um, when you're looking at them to make to make sure like you said to make sure that the the sequence is right to make sure that that you're getting across what you want to get across I'm, I'm thinking in your case because 
it's not like the situation is over. Uh, you know, I, I don't know what your son's condition is now. Is it basically still, he's basically still a quadriplegic or has there been any improvement? No, there's been no improvement at all in his mobility. Uh, none whatsoever. He cannot move anything. And, and almost, I, I don't know how you could make matter, matters worse under that circumstance. But he's not a quadriplegic because of a severed spinal cord. So he has sensations throughout his body. So, you know, if his arm gets numb and he wants to move it, he can't. If he wants to move his leg, you know, you're in bed, you're uncomfortable, you turn. Well, uh -huh. he can't do that. But, but he fe feels the discomfort. So if people uh, try to dress him or turn him over to, to bathe him, if they don't handle him gently, he feels the pain. So, uh, you know, it's, it's kind well, of stupid to say, but you almost wish if you were a quadriplegic, you wouldn't feel the pain. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, so uh, is, is he better? Uh, his uh, mind is definitely about a thousand percent better from when it happened. He regained it when he regained consciousness and the memory came back slowly. And now he's got complete and perfect recall of everything that happened in his life. Um, his um, more short term memory is. is not quite as good, uh, but it's but it's not bad. It has been affected somewhat by COVID. He had COVID in April at the height of COVID in New York, and when he went in, um, we were quite convinced that there was very little chance he would come out. And that, when he came out, it, it truly made me believe in miracles. That's that's wonderful. What was it? hard for you to go back and read the poems from the from the beginning stages when it first happened did that was it difficult for you to look at them because i would think that might put you back in that time frame how how were you able to go ahead it's a very good question and i've thought about it myself because, as you said before, it's an ongoing situation. He's still very much with us, thank God. Uh, but he is still in a horrible state. Okay, he requires 24-7 care by two people, because he's a big guy, one person can handle him. So that every time I see him, every day I see him, you know, you can't have the wound heal over. The scab gets torn off every day. So uh, reading the poems isn't as shocking because it happens to me every day. Every day I see him, my heart breaks again. Uh, and in some ways, when I read the early poems about all the tubes that came out of every part of his body, he's not like that now. So I feel like, okay, it's a little better. Uh -huh. It's not good. Uh -huh. Now, um, did your son know that you that you had published the book? Did you did you talk to him about it before you made the decision? That's a that's a good question. Uh, I told him uh, I was writing the book, and in a way, I thought it might have been a mistake. Why? My son uh, is is someone who encouraged me to write. Uh, from the day I retired. I mean, I knew I was going to write, but he was so excited about it. 
and, and he encouraged me. He always wanted to see, well, what is the latest thing you wrote? Can I read it? Can I comment on it? When I was writing my memoirs and I, I finished the novel, he, he commented on, on chapters and so on. So he was very involved in my writing. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I told him I, I was writing a poetry book, he became very interested. But then I realized that the nature of the poems would be very upsetting to him because some of the things I wrote, he doesn't even remember. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I'm sort of guilt stricken and stuck at one point because on the one hand, I want to show it to him. On the other, I, I don't want to hurt him. And I feel the same way about his wife. I dedicated the book partially to his wife, partially to his neurosurgeon, but I haven't given her the book because I'm afraid that for her, it'll be cause the kind of pain that you're referring to. So I'm, I'm on the fence about how to let her know that it's, the book is available and, and giving it to her. Mm -hmm. I'm also not keen for the, my granddaughters to see it because they've been so traumatized. They're the ones who saved his life when he collapsed with the stroke and the shower. They were little girls. And, and I don't want to open up those wounds again. But at the same time, I feel like I owe them. I'll save them the books for, of course, for when they get older. But I'm, I'm not sure about giving it to his wife. For my son, I may show him the cover and I may read one of the poems. I'll find one that's the least likely to cause upset. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a dilemma for me. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I could see where, where it would be yeah, under the circumstances. Now, I, I know it just came out, you know, November of 2020. Have you had any feedback from readers who have read it and, and perhaps shared how it impacted them? I am very gratified that I had feedback, especially the kind of feedback that I didn't expect, because it's a book about a tragic event, right? So you might think, well, it would upset people. At least I would hope, at the very least, I hope that would inform people that at any age, you can be stricken and you need to have your life prepared for it with insurance and other things. And especially now with COVID, a lot of young people are being hit with strokes. So I thought it would be useful for people to know what the consequence uh, of a stroke could be and you know protect themselves as much as possible by wearing masks and and, and so on um so perhaps it it's offering them some either some practical useful information but also you know gives them an idea that if they're going through a similar situation whether it's stroke cancer or whatever that they're not alone well, that was, my, that was my intent. But what I'm getting back in terms of feedback, which really pleases me no end, that people say, you know, I read this book and now I appreciate life a lot more because oh. I know it could be lost. Now I understand why you wrote the poem about when you eat, you have to think about what size bite you put on the mouth. You have to think about if your nose itches and you can't scratch it. Well, you know, if you... Uh, want to take a shower and you can't, like you will never feel uh, water running on your skin again. 
then people say, now I enjoy my cup of coffee more. I can get up, I can take a shower. I could have the so-called quote unquote normal life that, I, that we don't appreciate every day. Just the act of getting up and doing what it is that we normally do is a big deal. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people comment along those lines that it gives them more appreciation. And that makes me very happy. You know, it, it's interesting that you said that because just today on the news, um, CNN had interviewed a rabbi who wrote a book about dealing with death and everything, death, grief. And one of the things he said is exactly what you just said about appreciating what you have now, that we have, you know, we all have a tendency to take things for granted, not, not only the fact that you know, pre-COVID, for instance, you didn't have to think about worrying about going to the store, worrying about being, you know, infected by something, but also about losing a loved one. Um, he, he had said, no matter how many times you tell someone you love them, no matter how many times you hug them or kiss them, it's never enough which, you know, I can understand that both my parents are gone now, you know, I, I took care of both of them when they were dying. So I understand that, but it, it, it's interesting that, that you, you're saying the same thing too about the importance of appreciating what we have because we don't know how quickly we can lose it. And, all, and that plus appreciating the little things, just the pleasure of smelling a cup of coffee that you can pick up. My son can't do that. Uh -huh. you know? Just the pleasure as I said, of being in the shower and, and feeling the water on, you know, on the back, whether you like it cold or hot or the, uh -huh. or the shampoo that you use, you can't do that. These are little things that are not a given. People always think it's a, oh, it's a given, I'm gonna put my shoes on. Well, you can't do that. So nothing that you do is a given. You should appreciate it more. That's and true. I think that makes people happier. I think that's that's a very powerful message that that your book is is giving to people. Um, just just to to circle back to how we we started this, and you were talking about how you initially started writing the poems as a way as as a relief valve. You know, I, I, would you encourage other people, even people who who aren't writers? Okay, I mean, we're writers, even people who aren't writers or whatever, for them to find something when they are when they're in the midst of something like this to find something whether it's writing whether it's artwork. It, it doesn't matter whether you think you have a talent for it, but more important that you find a way to get it out in whatever format. Absolutely, absolutely. People need to share the the deep emotions that they experience in a situation like that. And, and whether you have training in something or not, uh, whether you have done it before or not, you should start. I'm going to quote here from my father. who My, my father had a motto that, that, that was wonderful because said, it's never too late. It's never too late to start something. He said, mm -hmm. I don't care if you're 80, I don't care if you're 90. Every day is a new opportunity to do something new. And, and, and he came to that uh, because he began painting at 72 and he became a very accomplished artist with many exhibitions. And he did that only because my mother on her deathbed persuaded her 
to paint because we all knew he had talent, but he never, as an immigrant, had an opportunity to do it. And, and, and that led him to this, it's never too late, it's never too late. I would say, Dad, I would love to write, but I can't do it now because I'm working. It's never too late. Whenever, whenever you want, you could start. It's not going to be too late. And I say that to everybody because I think it's true. There's always, if you maintain that sense of optimism and possibility, it, it, it helps you survive. It helps you have a better life. Well, I, I certainly think that's, that is absolutely so critical to remember. And the fact that in spite of everything, to have, you know, when you're going through something like this, and, and it happened not to you, but to your son, you know, which in some ways is worse because as parents, we always say, not my kid, give it to me, not my kid. Absolutely. You know. I, would I would take it from him if I could. But even he, in that awful physical situation that he's in, he, he, he actually inherited my father's optimism. He's never, ever once said, why me? Never. I'm surprised because I'm always thinking he's going to ask at some point. No, it's not happened. And in fact, just before he fell ill with COVID, he began writing uh, the lyrics to a song of gratitude uh, to his wife and daughters, titled it, The Time I Spend With You. And uh, when he was in the hospital with COVID, uh, I finished up the lyrics because I didn't know if it was coming out. And the musicians that I hired to play for him because he loves music, uh, put uh, music to it and recorded it in a studio. It's a beautiful song. It's on my website, by the way. Uh -huh. Readers who like to hear it. And so here is a man in, in such a terrible physical condition he still appreciates life and he still expresses gratitude to his wife and daughters, which I think is marvelous. Well, that, that's just wonderful. And, and clearly he got some of that from you in terms of, of the optimism and the, and the way to look at life. Um, I, I'm, this was, a, this was um, a, a very, a very interesting interview and and i think you know i certainly hope people will will seek out your book and read it whether they're in the middle of a traumatic event in their life or not because it sounds like it is at its heart a book of love and and hope and resilience you know i i mean it's um i guess there's all different definitions of of tragedy and although what happened to your son is is tragic yet at the same time it there is some good that came out of it and and if this is something that helps other people then then that is a good thing right that is it's always there's always a my parents used to say there's always a reason you know and and perhaps that is one of the reasons is to give you give you the opportunity to to reach out to other people through the book. So I think I think any any parent who's seen their child suffer in, in any kind of way would really um, empathize. There was one woman that wrote to me. She said, "I don't know you, but but I feel like you're a friend of mine because." I empathize so with your situation and what's happening with my own son. 
So she said, anyone in this book will, will find a friend. So that, that's, that made me feel nice. And, you know, I, I think that's what we all hope for is, as writers, that, we, that we're able to connect with the people who read our work and, and provide them with, with some measure of, of hope or, or, you know, whatever it is, just, mm -hmm. just to make that link. That, that, is, that is really basically our role as writers, you know. Absolutely. That sort of reminds me of uh, interviews that I've seen with performers on the stage. They, they, they need a connection with the audience. Well, when you're on the stage, the connection is visible and you could hear it in the applause. But when you're a writer, I guess you need to hear from your readers. That's where people should write reviews. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, you know, all the information about the book will be in the, in the show notes. So I certainly hope people go to your website and check out everything. Certainly look for the song. That will be, I think that will be a, an, an added benefit if they go to the website. But um, thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Nancy. I wish you the best and stay healthy. Same to you.